Welcome to Book Nerds Podcast. I'm your co-host, Nora. Hi, I'm Jaya. Our podcast today is about standalone fantasy novels. Please remember to visit our website, booknerdsblog.com, and subscribe to this podcast. Let's get started. So our first book that we're going to talk about today is The Girl Who Drank the Moon. And I read this book a year or two ago. I've read it a couple times, but Jaya just recently started reading it and I think you're almost done with it like yeah I'm like a hundred pages away from the finish and so far it's pretty good I mean it's like one of the few Newbery medal winners I've actually liked so it was interesting it was more child oriented than I expected but it also like it was this good mix it was a good reading level because it had like some vocabulary words and some larger ideas that were slightly more complex but it was also like the story itself was kind of like a fairy tale. Definitely. It is juvenile fiction. Basically, the plot line, and Jay, you're going to have to help me with this, but the plot line is um, this girl sort of gets sent away because her society is, like, very based in fear. And when she's born, like, they would send children away to, like, continue to strike fear into the hearts of, like, the citizens. And they would just kind of let them get eaten by wolves. Or at least that's the idea. She lives in this city in between a bog and this magical forest that no one knows is out there. And everybody thinks it's so dangerous. And the people who um, are in charge of the city, they, Nora, yeah, as Nora was saying, they like, they rule by fear. And the idea is every year they sacrifice one child to the witch who lives in the woods. And if they don't do that, then like the witch is going to go and kill them all. Nobody really, nobody in the town really knows if the witch is real or not. And the, the people who are ruling are kind of just doing that to keep everybody submissive. Yeah. So basically there is a witch, but she's good. And she like rescues all these children because she's like, why are people abandoning kids every year? Like what's happening? And she feeds them starlight during her journey to the other side of this magical forest where she like deposits the children to different families. And I think they're called star children, right? Yeah, they're called star children. Yeah, all the people in the other cities, everybody knows about this weird town who sacrifices all the kids and they talk about like, like the witch who gives them all the star children and they think like she's awesome. They're like, what the heck is wrong with this town? So the town is like kind of alone in their, in their strange, sacrificial, interesting leadership methods. Yes. So basically the witch is good. And, but one year she accidentally feeds the child moonlight instead of starlight, which means the child's like, given magical properties and like you kind of see the girl who drank the moon um grow up and when she she's like 11 or 12 and the witch is like sort of weakening um I don't really remember I know that somehow there's like a dragon and a mom and a not so woman and yeah great story so so like the main the main perspectives are Luna who is the the, the girl who drank the moon and then there's her, um, then there's the witch who is like taking care of her and, and the witch has like raised Luna all her life. And because her magic was so strong and out of control, they had to put a spell on her to like suppress it. And then, and then they made it so that like when she's 13, it starts to reemerge, but then it comes, it comes back with like dangerous consequences. And also at the same time, people in the, the city who sacrifices the kids, one of them 
decides like this is not okay anymore i'm gonna go kill the witch and all the people who rule are like no don't go kill the witch then you're gonna make everyone then you're gonna take away our leadership and you're gonna destroy our methods so and then there's also an insane woman who's luna's mother yeah yes and she wants she wants to get her child back yeah the spell that was put on Luna. The spell was intended to suppress her magic until she was 13, but then they made it so that she didn't know anything about magic and like she couldn't be in the presence of anything that had to do with magic. So then this is all like happening at the same time with the witch is like completely withering away and Luna's like going into puberty and gaining her magic and basically people in the town are rebelling. It's a fantastic plot line that's really hard to explain. So just read the book because it's like beautifully written and obviously it won like a major award. It's hard, it's hard to explain because the plot line is like so layered, but it's very well written. And yeah. So yeah, it's sweet. If you like, if you like fantasy, if you like deep fantasy with very rich world building. It kind of restores your faith in humanity a little bit because it's it's lighthearted. It's juvenile fiction, but I would I'll probably reread it. I have so many books to reread. Like my list has got it's like 30 books long, including series. <laughs> it's like not good. So the next book that I am going to discuss is called The Hazelwood. And the Hazelwood is about this girl named Alice and her mother. And they have like they live together on the road, kind of. And they always have bad luck, so they can't stay anywhere. Because, like, they stay at this one house and, like, ceilings collapse or people start dying or... Yes, Nora? Um, is it YA or juvenile fiction? Uh, YA. Okay. There's, like, a few kissing scenes and they talk about some okay. things, you know, some mature stuff. Yep. Although it's not, like... I, I, I would say, like... An 11 year old could probably read it well i mean of course that's my standards which are a little you know anyway i would classify it as ya so then and then alice is related to this woman um who is a famous author of these fairy tales that like they were so popular that they kind of like attracted a cult alice's grandmother alice is the main character and her grandmother is like the author of all these crazy books and she's all famous and mysterious and everybody is like, everybody tries to figure out all sorts of things about her and then she dies. And Alice is like, what? Like at the same time that her grandma dies, Alice's mother gets stolen by someone who claims to come from her grandmother's fairy tales land basically. And, um, and the only message that is left behind is stay away from the Hazelwood. And Alice is like, okay, what the crap? So now her mom's gone. And her mom is like the only person that she's ever had in her entire life. And her mysterious grandma, who she doesn't like, is dead. Or is supposed to be dead. She goes to her grandma's estate and she tries to find her mom. And then she gets sucked into like the whole world of fairy tales that her grandma has written. And it gets, it gets interesting. It definitely gets very interesting. Um, I'm sorry, the grandma's not dead? Well, you don't know that. You know, you find out these things along the way. Okay. And 
It seems like it's a little bit like Alice in Wonderland. It is a little bit like Alice in Wonderland, okay. except it's a lot more twisted than that. That's and the main character also has like some anger issues. So she has to deal with those along the way while she's getting sucked into this creepy, disturbing world of this supernatural fairy tale land that her mysterious grandma has written and she's trying to search for her mom and then she learns all these family secrets. Yeah. Uh, did you find that like the author did a good job of the anger issues? Because I feel like I feel like authors can that's a very hard character to write. So I mean I think it was good. I wasn't like hyper analyzing the anger issues because there was a lot more to it than that. But I think the author did a pretty good job. And this book has gotten like a good amount of acclaim. So obviously she must have done something right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's a little bit of romance between the main character and this person uh, who tries to help her, but it's not that much. It's not like together? super juicy or what Did they get together. I don't remember. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You don't remember if the love is. I'm sorry. I don't remember. How is that not the only thing you focused on? Because the rest of the book was so good. There was like, it was, there was just so much to get sucked into. And it was like, so, I'm, it was so immersive. But like, like the entire, the fantasy world, I didn't really pay much attention to the insignificant romance. But how do you not know if they got together or not? Because I've read like a million books since then. I'm I think I don't think they got together. I, okay, I don't want to spoil it. You should read it. If for the people who are listening. If the love interest and the main character didn't get together, what was the point of reading it? Nora, it's not all about the love interest. We're talking about standalone fantasy novels, not rom-coms. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, anyway, okay, so this book is by Melissa Albert. It's called The Hazelwood. Read it. It's very good. Okay. Next book. Your turn, Your turn, Nora. Let's stop talking book. about disappointing love interests. This one, the next book did not have a disappointing love interest. It actually had a very, very, very well-written love triangle. Oh, no. <laughs> Basically, it's called In Other Lands. It's, it was so, so good. It's like this boy, we start when he's 12 and he goes on this field trip to this random field in England. He lives, the whole thing's set in England. Um, and he's in a bus with three other boys, I think. And basically this, I think it was a fairy, pays the school to bring them children what to bring them children to protect the border wall and the border <laughs> wall is this wall between the human world and the mystical world on the other side of it and elliot the main character is the only one who can see this wall out of like the four kids that were brought so he gets taken over okay um, and he's hilarious he's like is this a kidnapping attempt abductor is like, do you have anyone who will miss you? And he's like, why Jesus. would I tell you? Why, why would I tell you that? You're probably a murderer and a kidnapper. 
the kid's hilarious. Um, but he gets taken over the swamp and there's two programs. One is fighters to protect the border wall. And it's like a youth army and training camp for kids. And he's like, this is wrong. What, what the heck? But there's another one, there's another um, path and it's more educational and it's um, for like counseling and like treaties. So he joins that. And over the course of the book, he like sort of fights against this society that only cares about fighting. And he's like, what if we do this? And he like, he's so manipulative. It's hilarious. He poisons an adult so that he can sit in on a treaty meeting. That's beautiful. I know he's the best. So you watch him grow from a 12 year old to 17 year old. So he befriends this elf and it's actually really interesting because the elves come from a um, matriarch society. So she joins. Yeah. She joins this army flipping the world around. Yes, exactly. That's exactly how the elves were portrayed. And there's this one scene where Elliot's meeting these elves and one of the women is explaining to him that most relationships comprise of an older woman and a younger man. And he's like, what? And she's explaining like, well, men get uglier and women don't. The whole book is like full of moments like that, that just sort of tip like society on its axis. That's amazing. Yes. It was such a good book. And Elliot, like very open-minded. So you're going through the story and he's like infatuated with the elf he befriended, completely infatuated until (laughs) he's 15. Meanwhile, I'm reading the whole book and am completely shipping him with his like enemy he has a mutual truce with the elf and Elliot realize they're not good together and he actually gets with the guy my main takeaways was like the way the author used humor and like different species to sort of create metaphors for the way our world is and also to like kind of give a completely opposite perspective to the society we live in was just incredible. And she, and the author also wrote it in such a realistic character development way, but the relationships and the shifting of the relationships was so natural and truly mimicked, like how people really work. So it was really impressive. Because the book's like, I don't know, four or 500 pages. And the author managed to fit five years, I'm doing math right, yes, five years worth of character development so incredibly. That's impressive. I like, I like how it sounds like a fresh new take on fantasy. And I like how they it sounds really cool what the author did with the whole elf thing and the, the matriarchal society. Absolutely. It's it very neat. Yeah, it was fantastic. And it was also like, it also completely poked fun at toxic masculinity because it was like 
Elliot was solving all of these problems literally just by reading. He was reading and manipulating people. And as a result, he saved like hundreds of lives and he was still like a total snot face. It was great. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to have to check that book out because that yeah. seems awesome. That seems like something I would love. I feel like all right. It's your turn. Okay. So the book that I am talking about next is called Afterworlds with Scott Westerfeld. Really quick. Yes. The In Other Lands was definitely YA because like okay. as they got older, like obviously it sort of shifted with it. Um, but is yeah. this book YA or juvenile? This book is YA. Okay. All right. So this is one of the most brilliant books that I have ever read Afterworlds. And I absolutely loved it because one of the main characters in this book was a young adult writer. She's like 18 and she is entering the world of young adult publishing because she's about to release her, um, her new like paranormal fantasy novel. And she has like no idea what she's doing in life. And for me, this is incredible because I'm a writer and I think like just being able to read this and I was in awe at the job that the actual author did of incorporating two whole narratives because this book is, it alternates the perspectives of Darcy Patel, who is the, the teenage author, and the, um, the novel that she's writing. So in alternating chapters, like in one chapter, it's Darcy's story. And then the next chapter, it's the story of the book that she's writing. Did you find that, like, he almost changed his writing style to write the two chapters? I, I would say yes. And that's one of the things that, that I found very impressive because he, um, like, things that were discussed in the chapters with Darcy, like, when they were discussing her book, and then it was, it was very interesting to, like, see all that in the alternating chapters of her novel. And yeah, the, the writing style did change a little bit as if it was like a new person was writing it. It didn't change a whole lot, but it was enough that it was like, wow, you just, you complete, like you wove two whole different stories into one. It was very impressive. Yeah. Like I, I want to meet the author and be like, how is, how is no, how does nobody know about this book? Um, it's very underrated. So in Darcy's story, she's a teen author who's about to get published and she has to deal with the stresses of being a, like, a penniless writer. Because you don't make a lot of money as a writer. And she's, like, she just got out of high school and her parents are, like, angry at her because they want her to go to college. But then they're also, like, oh, yeah, you're writing a book. So, and, and now she has this, like, this deal that's supposed to make a lot of money for her book. So she's dealing with all those financial problems and with the stresses of navigating the whole, like, dazzling, overwhelming world of publishing. And falling in love for the first time. <gasps> There's a love interest? There's a love interest. In Do they both get together? Of- yes, they get together, Nora. <gasps> and it's another girl. Good. Yes, the love interest was great. Now okay. let me keep talking. Okay, so she has like never fallen in love before. And, um, and everybody thinks that she's like super innocent and sheltered. But then she falls in love and she's like completely overwhelmed. And then the, um, the love interest like helps her navigate through all this. But then at one point they break up and she's like heartbroken and she can't like she can't write anymore. But then she she then everything. Was that the climax? 
That was not the climax, I don't think. What percentage did it happen at? 60, 75%. Maybe it was the climax. I wasn't paying too much attention. And I'm not there yet, okay? Stop interrupting. Just let me keep going. Um, yeah, and then in Lizzie's story, Lizzie is, Lizzie is the, um, the character in the book that she's writing. So Lizzie accidentally wills her way into the afterworld, which is life after death, because she is in the midst of a deadly terrorist attack, and she's about to get killed. So then she calls 911, and she's like, help, what do I do? There's a guy with a gun charging toward me. And they, um, and the person on the, the dispatcher tells her, tells her maybe you should play dead. So she plays dead so well that she accidentally wills her way into the afterworld. How fun is that? Does the book Darcy's writing have a love interest? Yes, it has a love interest. And that's like one of the highlights of the book because everyone, everyone in Darcy's world is calling it, um, it's a paranormal romance about a hot Vedic death god is what they're saying about her book. So she's like, this is what my book has been. This is what everybody's calling it. This is the book now. And she's sad about that. But there's more than that. Honestly, I think that in Darcy's world, they're overrating the love interest. So, all right. So Lizzie, well, Lizzie, Darcy's protagonist, um, wills her way into the afterworld. And then she meets this person who's like a spirit guide and is trying to help her. And that's the love interest that she falls in love with eventually. So then she's like in the afterworld for a little bit. She's like, oh my God, everyone's dying around me. And then she ends up being the only survivor of the terrorist attack. And um, she's able to get her way back into the normal world. So she's like all rattled from, you know, the terrorist attack and from accidentally going into the afterworld where it's like a completely new world and everything is, everything is gray. There's no color in the afterworld and it's all, it's all weird and no one has shadows. And now she can see ghosts. How fun is that? And she becomes um, like a psychopomp or a spirit guide. So she's kind of going, and of course to everyone else, it seems like she's kind of going insane and everyone's worried about her because she's now she's like famous because of she survived the terrorist attack. And she's like, oh my God, I just survived a terrorist attack and now I can see ghosts and I'm a spirit guide. So she's, um, she's dealing with all this. And then she starts falling in love with the person who helped her when she willed her way into the afterworld. And she starts like, as she learns more about the afterworld, she meets, she, she meets um, someone who she has, like she meets a ghost that she has a very surprising personal connection to. And she starts to make friends with this person. And then she starts to meet some other spirit guides who are not as, who don't have as good intentions. Like one of the people that she meets likes to, um, he likes to find little girls who died and he wants them because they had just, hold on, I'm getting there, Nora. I know it's very, it's very disturbing um, at first, but then you start to learn more and it's still disturbing, but um but he wants, he's trying to like find all these little girls because, because they died happily and they have happy memories and he wants all those happy memories. And she starts meeting more and more. You needed to get to that point faster. 
Just yeah, like, I'm getting okay. Okay, all right. Why did you draw that character's motives out? Why would you do that? That was, that right, was and the ghost. The ghost that she has a surprising personal connection to was murdered. Figures. Yeah, and the um the and that the little girl that she's friends with um she's like paranoid because she's worried that the person who like killed her is gonna go find her ghost and like hunt her down. So Lizzie Lizzie wants to like liberate her basically. Yeah. So and she's slowly turning to the dark side because now she's now she's like taking on like the psychopomp role. She's like she's like an anti-hero. Yeah, kind of. And she her character development like it's not typical at all because she gets worse and worse as the story progresses like she starts to go everything about her just starts going downhill and a very major thing happens at the end that I'm not going to tell you about because that would be a major spoiler um and she's like she's also you know she has to like juggle these two worlds like this world where she can walk through walls and see ghosts and guide spirits and go to this creepy afterworld and all these sorts of things. And then, you know, she also has to deal with like being the only survivor of this terrorist attack and living with her single mom and her crazy rich dad. Her parents are divorced and she lives with her mom and her dad is rich and was like a horrible person. Actually, in the beginning of the book, I was like, I was kind of excited when I got to those alternating chapters. I was like, oh, this is a really cool story. And then as it went down, I was like, uh, okay, I actually now just want to read this other perspective because it started getting so much darker as it went on. Oh. Like it, it got into the the paranormal, the bad paranormal of the paranormal. Oh. But it was very, it was good. It was like it was well like if I met if I met the fake character who wrote this book, I would be like, this is a really good book. Both were like very thrilling page turners. Both both perspectives, both stories, and um, like even though they were vastly different, one was realistic fiction and the other was a paranormal. It was. Creepy. Like the writing, the writing style, everything that the author did to weave these two together. It was just like, it was flawless. Everything in both of the, in both of the stories was absolutely flawless. And I was, I was just astounded. I was appalled. I had no words Very cool. by how, how well it was. And like both of the stories, they were both like ingenious I think it's interesting that both of the books you picked were like very much twisted and dark. And I'm like, rom-com and juvenile fiction. Yeah, I guess I just, um, I read a lot of Twisted and Dark fans. You do, yeah. You need to read more rom-coms. But they didn't, neither of the books um, that I read ended badly. I don't, I would recommend that book to any like lover of fantasy or aspiring writer because it is seriously underrated. And it was, for me, it was very inspiring because I'm a writer and I was like, I was reading about these writers and the books that they're writing. And I was like, oh my God, I need to, I need to get on this stuff. Very cool. That was our last book. Um, that was our last book, yes. A lot of, lot of summaries happened. So, yes. I'm not very was... good at summarizing things. All of the books were very long. So I think it was hard to summarize such layered and like convoluted plot lines. Before we go into quote of the episode, I would like to give a shout out to no one for filling out our survey on booknerdsblog.com because we have literally no new shout out. 
Some books are undeservedly forgotten. None are undeservedly remembered. W.H. Auden. The list of books, as always, that were discussed can be found on our website, booknerdsblog.com. That's all until next time. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and check out our site, booknerdsblog.com. While you're there, please fill out our survey for a shout out on the Book Nerds podcast. All right, this episode has a sad dedication to our readers for keeping books and reading alive. If it weren't for every reader out there, we wouldn't have this wonderful world of books to escape to. Because reading is slowly dying, even if we try to um, hide from that fact. So thank you to everyone who can still appreciate a good novel. I disagree. I don't, I don't think reading's dying, but whatever. Um, Book Nerds podcast is produced by Nora and Jaya. Our executive producers are Nora and Jaya. Engineering and sound design by Nora and Jaya. Our editors are, surprise, surprise, Nora and Jaya. Our music is The Big Chase, classic silent film music performed by Joe Renato.